Thanks for tuning in. I'm Shelby. And I'm Renee. And you're listening to The Creepy Burrito. But also, make sure you put your second hand right on that mid. Two-hander. Two-hander. Two. Or a third-hander. Third. yeah. If if you have a friend. If you're a mutant from Helltown. (laughs) (laughs) Or if you're a mutant. If you're a mutant. I was thinking it's easier to get another person than it is to find a mutant, but I don't know, whatever. (laughs) It's fine. Fuck you. I don't want to share a burrito with you anyways. A three-hander. Son of a bitch. So, before we dive right in today, we're going to do some of those sweet-ass reviews that we got on iTunes. Our first review is from Alexandria DeGreat, and she said, Hail the Burrito Queens. I love getting lost in the sauce with these ladies every week. The stories are so juicy. I'm always coming back for more. The information and laughs are endless. Give them a listen and you will not be disappointed. Or maybe next Wednesday, we might be hearing about your true crime story. My favorite podcast, love you girls. Well, you know what? This is my favorite podcast too. Sure is. But I might be a little biased. (laughs) But thank you, Alexandria. The Great. (laughs) We love you. Our second sweet-ass review is from Anna Area 2, titled Love It. Five stars. She said, My friend turned me on to the podcast because I was complaining and I had nothing new to listen to. You guys are funny and I love the stories. Well, thank you for that. (laughs) I'm glad we were able to entertain you and live up to your friend's recommendation. Because I had nothing else to listen to. <laughs> I had nothing better to listen to. Well, I'm glad you listened to us. Well, I'm glad that... We're better than nothing. We're, we're better than nothing. <laughs> Keep coming back. Get lost in that sauce with us. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, for today's episode, we figured with summer coming to an end, seasons are changing, slowly getting colder darker it's the perfect time to talk about fairies so renee what pops into your head when you think about fairies (laughs) fairy godparents oh my god (laughs) i like how you had to say it with your whole body green juice lava juice giant cake birthday cake large fresh chocolate shake i like how you said cake like 10 times because i don't no one ever knows the words no one knows you know that Except there's fries, a shake, there's cake, lava, there's lava. Lava juice. Something goose. Green caboose. Maybe. I don't know. Throw don't all the know. rhymes together. <laughs> but some of you out there might be thinking about, <laughs> besides <laughs> fucking Renee, <laughs> might be thinking about cutesy little Tinkerbell. Shout out to the 90s kids with Thumbelina, Ferngully, all of those beautiful little kids flicks. Or Cinderella's fairy godmother. 
But fairies might not be the sweet little angelic picture Disney had painted, but in reality, little deviant assholes. Fairies used to be feared in old Celtic folktales. They were treated with the utmost respect, left offerings, and referred to as little people or good folk to keep in their good graces. Because if you piss off a fairy, it was gonna be a bad day, a bad week, a bad year. Bad rest of your life. Bad rest of your life. Those vengeful little buggers will little be- Buggers. <laughs> I mean- I love how you're just like, they called them little people and treated them with the most respect and then you just called them little buggers. <laughs> vengeful little buggers. They were just ready to destroy you like a Taylor Swift breakup song. Just <laughs> come right at you. The word fairy itself, the roots, it goes back to Old French, um, spelled F-A-E-R-I-E, meaning enchantment. So if you do your own research on fairies, it's not like the Disney smelling of fairy, F-A-I-R-Y. It's F-A-E-R-I-E. Or sometimes just the fae. The fae. For short, F-A-E. There's multiple theories on the origins of fairies, whether they were fallen angels, demons, spirits, Christian beliefs- <coughs> Aliens. <laughs> or ancient aliens. But a Christian belief is that fairies were demoted angels. When a group of angels revolted, God ordered to shut the gates of heaven. Those that were still in heaven remained angels, those in hell became demons, and those caught in between were fairies. Not good enough for heaven, not evil enough for hell, just toss them right there in the middle. At one time, it was thought that fairies were originally worshipped as deities. So when Christianity came into the picture is where some of these old deities had dwindling state of perceived power, but it was morphed into different like folklores and myths as fairies. The other theory about fairies, that they're spirits of the dead people. Of the dead people. Of the dead of people. The dead people. <laughs> oh god. The dead. The dead. <laughs> In quotations. So with the theory that they are spirits of those that have passed on, ghosts and fairies, they share a lot of similar traits when it comes to common folklore tales. Both the dead and fairies are depicted as living underground, and their purpose or characteristics are formed around their traumas or unfinished business. The lore of fairies is pretty vast, so I'm going to hit you with the top five big bad Irish fairies. Hit me. Number one or number five? Which chronological <coughs> order are we starting in? Um, I did not put them in any sort of order. Oh. So let's start with three. I'm following my heart. <laughs> so the first one we are talking about is the Puka. Puka? Puka. That's the name of Anastasia's dog in the animated version of Anastasia. <laughs> Thank you. Puka. So one of Ireland's most feared fairy is the Puka. Perhaps as it comes out to create mischief and harm after nightfall, and because it has the ability to shape shift into a number of horrifying forms. Hmm. So it's not just one thing. It's many it, things. It's many things. That's funny because then you could literally just be like, it's the puka. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like no, what it's happens. Just a dog. Like... No, it's the puka. <laughs> Look at that puka over there. Man, that's just a sandwich. No, it's the puka. <laughs> oh my god. It appears to most as a shadowy, sleek horse with smoldering yellow eyes and a long, ragged mane. When disguised in this fashion, it gallops far across the countryside in the dead of night, trampling down any fences or gates that stand in its way. It scatters livestock, flattens crops, and generally causes as much havoc as it can. 
In this form of puka, it likes to take a rider, usually a drunkard, on a wild ride all night and shake him off in the gray of the morning. This person, already heavily inebriated, is also under the spell of the puka and has no recollection of what had happened. Some of the other common forms that have been cited is in the form of a small, goblin-like creature, a towering, hairy boogeyman, a dark eagle with an abnormally large wingspan, or a goat with long, curling horns that taper to razor-sharp points. Farmers would leave a share of their crops at the end of the harvest as a gift to the puka. Typically it would be on November 1st after Halloween, because this was around the time of the Sawan festival, entering into the darker half of the year. If they did not surrender the crops, the puka would spit on any wild fruit in the fields, making them dangerous to eat. Why would you spit on the on the fruit? Uh, it's so that he would make it poisonous for them, dangerous oh, for them so to his, eat, his, so that it would like spit yeah. is venomous. Yes. Gotcha. So, so if, if they he eat don't it, eat it, nobody's eating it. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Vengeful, angry, evil. Sounds like me. If the puka is sighted by cows or hens, they are often so traumatized that they're unable to provide milk or eggs. I thought that was a quirky little little fact. Like wow. maybe your hen just doesn't wanna, just can't lay eggs though. Yeah, maybe. But I don't know. Over the years, it has mastered human speech and from time to time it will stop in front of a house of its choosing, call the names of men, women, and children that it wishes to take on a midnight excursion. If ignored, the fairy will vandalize the property of that person. The puka is equally dreaded by those traveling late at night, as it has been known to snatch up such individuals that are just loaning and drifting around, dropping them into ditches or bog holes. The only man to ever successfully ride a puka was High King of Ireland and founder of O'Brien Dynasty, Brian Baruma Max Sentig, or more commonly known as Brian Boru. Brian managed to control the magic of the creature by using a special bridle, which used three hairs of the puka's tail. Brian's physical prowess meant that he was able to stay on the back until it exhausted the puka and he surrendered to Brian. The king forced it to agree to two promises. First, that it would no longer torment the Christian people in the area or ruin their property. Second, that it would never again attack an Irishman, except for those who were drunk or abroad with evil intent. Okay, so like, bad people or, nah, the drunks. Although the puka did agree, it appears to have forgotten its promises over the years yeah. because there are still reported sightings of pukas to this day. Now, moving on to our next fairy, the Banshee. Ooh. Also known as the Woman of the Fairy. In Celtic Christian religion, they were referred to as fallen angels. According to the legends and beliefs that the Banshee is an ancestral spirit appointed to forewarn members of ancient Irish families of impeding death, these families were the O'Neills, the O'Briens, O'Connors, O'Grady's, and Kavanaugh's. No O on that one. No O's. But over the years that has been expanding due to marriage and bloodlines throughout the years, Banshees are known for their mourning, wailing cries that can be heard at night when someone is about to die. The encounters of these cries varies from region to region. There are parts of Leinster where they describe it as a shrieking call that's so sharp that it can shatter glass. But in Kerry, witnesses say that the cry is a low, pleasant singing. In Tyrone, it sounds like similar to two boards being struck together. 
On Rathlin Island, it's described as somewhere between the wail of a woman and the moan of an owl. Maybe it's just an owl. <laughs> Maybe it's just an owl. <laughs> That's like where your logic like kicks in. Yeah. Like, so if it sounds like an owl, it might, might be an <laughs> might owl. Be an owl. <laughs> but no, it's fucking fairies. Part woman, part owl. <laughs> She's a wow. She's, <laughs> She's a wow. While some legends say that if you hear the piercing shriek, you will die within 24 hours, there are cases when the soon-to-be-deceased person is a relative of the individual that hear the cry. Although they are rarely seen, it's said that they would appear in the form of a young woman, a matron, or a fragile old woman. This is believed to be symbolic of the triple aspects of the Celtic goddess of war and death, on a few occasions, has appeared to some as a washerwoman, seemingly washing bloodstained clothing belonging to those who are about to die. No matter the form, the banshee wears a gray hooded cloak for the unshriven dead. Um, that means that they died without being absolved for their sins. They appear to have a ghastly pale complexion and long white hair, and they use, <laughs> they use a silver comb. It's been seen that banshees use a silver comb. I don't know who so, the fuck found them just brushing, just their, brushing hair. their hair. Like, when they're not screaming their head off, they're just like the fucking brushing. The ring. Who's just brushing <gasps> oh, her hair. Oh, God, yikes. I hate the ring so much. Or scary movie where she lifts up her arm and brushes her Oh, my her God, that's hair. so funny. I love scary movie. Cindy, the tea, please leave me. <laughs> Cindy, this bitch crawling out of TV. But... If you uh, find this comb anywhere, it's suggested not to pick it up, because you'll suffer an untimely end. I don't know who would be picking up a comb that they find That's anywhere. not theirs, but I don't know. Medieval times, like, you see a brush, you steal the brush. I don't know. True. But some people believe that the comb is simply a gift to someone they love or feel is important. So... I don't know. It's a good thing or a bad thing. 50-50 toss-up You're either going to die or it's just a gift from someone you love that died. (laughs) Banshees have been known to take other forms, such as the hooded crow, a rabbit, weasel, or a black cat, which are all animals associated with witchcraft in Ireland. In 1437, King James I of Scotland was approached by a banshee, who foretold his murder at the investigation of Earl of Anthal, This is one example of a banshee sighted in human form. There have been numerous reports of banshee encounters with members of the royal court and other high-profile members of Irish society. When multiple banshees appear at once, it is said that someone great or holy had passed away. The origin of the banshee can be traced back to medieval times. Women in Ireland would sing songs of lament at funerals they were known as keeners. For rich or powerful families, they would pay to have the best singers come to the funerals. And fairies, presumably being more talented singers than any human, eventually over time morphed keeners into what we know of today as banshees. And the fact that keeners were paid in alcohol and often ended up as elderly alcoholic women that were banished from towns and villages also adds to the myth. 
One of the most famous sightings of a fairy in Ireland is arguably Lady Fanshawe's brush with a banshee in County Clare in 1642. Along with her husband, Sir Richard, Lady Fanshawe stayed with Lady O'Brien in her castle, staying in a room that overlooked a lake. One night, she was awakened by a high-pitched scream and saw an apparition of a girl at the window. The spirit had red hair and pale skin. The spirit eventually vanished, leaving the frightened Lady Fanshawe to ponder what she had just seen. The following morning, she was told about the death of a relative who had been hiding an illness from her. According to legend, the spirit that she saw was a peasant woman. She was the wife of the previous owner of the castle, and the unfortunate lady was murdered by her husband and drowned in the lake. Yeah, because some of these banshees, um, they believe that they're either ancestors and have some sort of, like, bloodline relation to whoever they're, like, forewarning. Yeah. But other stories of uh, banshees, like, they have a backstory that they were, like, murdered or come to an uh, untimely end. Demise. Demise. Death. Death. <laughs> but that's all she wrote for the banshee. That's all she wrote. <laughs> now, we are moving on to what is probably my favorite one, called The Dullahan. Ooh, okay. Ooh. Tell me about it. <laughs> Stud. <laughs> the Dullahan is a fairy that has been described as a headless horseman in a black cloak. Don't worry, they're not driving blindly through the night. They carry their head on them, either on the saddle or in their hand. The head is described to have decaying skin, sunken eyes, but still smiling, ear to ear nonetheless. The head is also said to give off an eerie glow, which just so happens to double as a lantern to guide them on their road. Legit uses their own head as a lantern. I mean, gotta be resourceful. So the Dullahan will hold up his head, searching through the vast countryside, even on the darkest of nights, for the night is dark and full of terrors, seeking out the home of a dying person. In case being a headless horseman with a glowing grimace head lantern coming for your already dying ass wasn't enough, he comes equipped with a human spine as a whip. Oh! Atop his wild steed that I forgot to mention shoots sparks and flames from his nostrils as it charges forth. Metal as fuck. That's so metal. So metal. 10 out of 10 on the metal as fuck radar scale. Can we, is it too late to change our logo? <laughs> If the Dullahan comes to a stop, death is sure to follow. All it takes is just merely saying the name to summon the soul of their victim. The Dullahan has been seen on nights of Irish feast days, particularly at the end of August or early September, which just so happens to be when the festival of Crom Dub was. It was believed that the Dullahan was the embodiment of an ancient Celtic god, Crom Dub, or also known as Black Rom. Being a fertility god, he had demanded human lives each year, preferably sacrificed by decapitation. He was worshipped by a prehistoric king, Tigermoss, estimated 1500 years ago, and he had actually legitimized human sacrifices to heathen idols. Krom was getting his souls and followers until the 6th century when Christian missionaries came in and denounced all other religions. 
Since he no longer had a steady flow of souls coming in, he took matters into his own hands, rolled up his sleeves, and took on a physical form of the Dullahan. This weary horseman had most of his sightings in rural counties of Sligo and Down. There was one account from storyteller W.J. Fitzpatrick from the Mourne Mountains in County Down. He had said, I seen the Dollahan myself stopping on the brow of the hill between Bryansford and Moneyscalp late one evening, just as the sun was setting. It was completely headless, but it held up its own head in its hand, and I heard it call out a name. I put my hands over my ears in case the name was my own, so I couldn't hear what it said. When I looked again, it was gone. But shortly afterwards, there was a bad car accident on that hill, and a young man was killed. It had been his name that the Dallahan was calling. In other parts of the country, such as County Tyrone, the Dallahan drives a black coach pulled by six of those diabolical horses, going so fast that the friction sets fire to the bushes and plants alongside the road. Any gate that stands in its way would burst open for the horsemen to pass, no matter how firmly they were locked. If you hear the thunderous gallop of death approaching, look away. But if you dare to watch the horsemen pass, you'll be greeted with a basin of blood thrown in your face or struck blind in one eye. As far as kryptonites go, there are rumors that golden objects can force the Dallahan to disappear. In conclusion, I give the Dallahan 10 out of 10 on the metal as fuck fucking radar for fairies. Hell yeah. I like how he's a lot like the Headless Horseman. Oh, definitely. Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow. Actually, I was obsessed growing up. It's not uh, the Dallahan. It's actually just Christopher Walken. Oh, dude, I fucking Hello. love <laughs> Shut the fuck up. I'm here <laughs> for your, your head. <laughs> that, was that was so good. That was bad. I'm very proud of you. That was bad, Christopher Walken. You've done but better. I've done better. Moving on to our next fairy called the Grogich. A Grogich is a half-man, half-fairy aboriginal that originated in Scotland and settled in Ireland. They are described as a very small elderly man with a full coat of thick reddish fur for hair. They don't wear clothes. Oh. What they do wear uh-huh. is dirt and twigs from their travels. Dirt. Dirt and twigs. So, like, they're rolling around with, like, dreadlocks? Just caked and fucking, yeah, like, hippie as shit. No clothes. They're not known to have good personal hygiene. Just rub the choli all over <laughs> oh their bodies. And no one has ever reported seeing a female Grogich. There's only like males. They travel through freezing rains to searing heat, so they don't really mind what the weather is. They're just trudging right through. They live in caves and hollows along the countryside. If you see a large leaning stone, it means that one of them lives nearby. They have the power of invisibility, but they will only reveal themselves if they find that you are trustworthy. Although they seem to have pretty rough exterior, they're actually pretty sociable. If they take a liking to a person, they will follow you home to help with planting, harvesting, or other odd jobs around the house. All they ask for in return is a jug of cream. While they're running about the house trying to help, they do tend to get in the way quite often. If they become a nuisance and you want to get rid of one, they're terrified of the clergy. So call up a priest or a minister to bless the home, or if you try to baptize the Grogich, they will surely leave. There are some variations in the British and Scottish folklores. They're also referred to as a brownie or a, a brownie, and typically they would be attached to a specific family, 
either as a protective spirit of dead ancestors or ghost of deceased servants who once worked at the home. So these bronies, they would punish household servants who were lazy by pinching them while they were asleep, going around breaking objects that were around the house, or causing some other kind of mischief. In some early stories, bronies are described as guarding treasure, a non-domestic task outside of their usual repertoire. In their tales, this household servant is naked or dressed in rags. If a person attempts to give them clothing, he will leave forever. Does that sound familiar? Dobby is a free elf! <laughs> Rest in peace, Dobby. Little house elf. <sighs> I fucking love Harry Potter. Me too. If a Bernie feels that he's been slighted or taken advantage of, he will vanish forever, taking prosperity of the house with him. And sometimes if you piss him off enough, he'll just wreck all of his work that he had done before leaving. Just leaving your house in a mess. Sounds like something you would do. I sure would. I'm a vengeful, angry person. <laughs> and moving on to our final fairy, the changeling. Changelings are creatures spoken of in folklore all across the world. They are creatures that are placed into mortal homes by fairies or demons who proceed to kidnap the original child of the home. Now, why would these fairies try to switch out their own for a human baby? Aliens. <laughs> Everything is aliens. Mm -hmm. One of the most common beliefs is due to the complication that comes with fairies giving birth. Often, fairy babies die during or directly after birth. Those that do survive usually come out deformed in some sort of way. Fairies that admire beauty and perfection have no wish to keep these deformed children, so they swap them out for human infants. Generally, they prefer cute little babies with blonde hair. Some folklore say that human milk is necessary for fairy children to be able to survive. The newborn child would be switched with the fairy baby so that they could be nursed. Or the human mother would be taken back to the fairy world to breastfeed fairy babies. There is one belief that it was just simply more respectable to be raised by humans as a fairy baby. I'm not sure why I didn't find anything on it's that. It's like an insult to them. I mean, I like, haven't... We can't raise them. <laughs> We're not good enough. We'll give them to the humans. Like what? They'll give them the best life possible. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit weird. So, how can you tell if your child is a changeling? Some of the physical traits is they look sickly. They have dark eyes with wrinkly, weathered skin. They can also have physical deformities such as extra toes, a crooked back, curved hands that look like a bird claw, and only two weeks after being in the human home will have a complete set of teeth and grown legs that look like chicken bones and hair on the top of their hands. So it's like this little baby that's like morphing into like a little adult with a full set of teeth and like gangly legs and hairy hands. Now some of their odd behaviors they have is they are described as ill-tempered and wise beyond their years. For fun, the fairy babies would work dark magic in the household and they're happy only when disaster befalls their adopted family. Changelings feed on good fortune, so only bad luck will befall a family sheltering one. And these changeling children, they screech and wail all day and night, 
and their cries will sometimes reach to the point where they can no longer be heard by humans. Now, the one good thing about the oh, chain... yeah, the one good thing. <laughs> All right. And it's, it's like a little one. So, like, it's kind of, like, cute, I guess. Um, as they get older, they may take a liking uh, or, like, get the desire to play a musical instrument. Usually the Irish pipes or the flute. And it's said that they will play with such mesmerizing skill that anyone that will hear it is going to be captivated by the sound. So, I don't know, they might play the flute or some shit. Now, the most famous real-life changeling story is of Bridget Cleary. Bridget was the wife of a cooper named Michael Cleary, and the pair were regarded around town as a relatively happy couple. They shared their cottage in a remote townland with Bridget's father, Patrick Boland, and had no children. Bridget brought in some extra income by working as a seamstress and also an egg seller. She was literate, independent, and fashionably dressed working woman, helping their family move up in the world to more prosperous than any other neighbors in such a rural society. The area was so steeped in legends of fairies and supernatural beings. Children grew up hearing legends of the little people from their earliest days and learned how to appease them by leaving food offerings or saying bless them whenever fairies were mentioned and to stay away from fairy forts or also known as fairy circles, which were old abandoned ring forts uh, created by medieval settlers that made like a circular fortress or in some scenarios, like uh, if you see like smaller ones, they're like the mushroom rings. Fairies were commonly blamed for everything that went wrong. So that's like lost items, spoiled milk, bad crops, everything was blamed on fairies. Uh, but Bridget, she was fascinated with the legends of fairies. It would take paths to deliver eggs that would go through these fairy infested lands. On Monday, March 4th of 1895, she may have made her usual visit to the fairy circles on her way back from a delivery to her father's cousin, Jack Dune. It was a cold morning, the mountains still covered in the snow that had fallen the previous day, and after her three-mile walk, Bridget couldn't seem to warm up when she got back home. She spent the following day in bed, shivering and complaining of a raging pain in her head. A few days go by, and her condition was still just getting worse. Her worried father and husband had reached out to a doctor multiple times before he finally made his way to the Cleary home to examine Bridget. The doctor had diagnosed nervous excitement and slight bronchitis. Michael, on the other hand, was not convinced, stating that she was acting out of character. It was suspected that Jack Dune, who was an eccentric older man, had planted the idea into Michael's head that a fairy had possessed his wife's body and had advised to contact a fairy doctor, of which Michael did. The fairy doctor had gave him a mixture of herbs that had needed to be boiled in milk. Now, Michael had forced this concoction down Bridget's throat while Jack Dune and other male family members held her down to the bed. Relatives outside the house heard Michael shouting, Take it, you witch, or I'll kill you. Michael asked his wife to answer her name three times. Are you Bridget Boland, wife of Michael Cleary, in the name of God? The men brought her to the fireplace and held her over the gate to drive out the fairies while they repeated questioning. And this incessant questioning, it, it lasted throughout the night for hours. And the following morning, he had a priest say mass in Bridget's bedroom in order to banish the evil spirits that were left in the house. 
On Friday, March 15th, for the first time in 11 days, Bridget got out of bed and dressed in her usual fashionable clothing. Family members came to the cottage for tea to see her and talk to her since she's been out of it for so long. But later, another argument erupted when Bridget asked for some milk, which rekindled Michael's suspicions. Because fairies are, n- they're known to love milk. I love that milk. Bridget being sick and exhausted probably was just tired of being questioned and harassed constantly by her husband, so she immediately snapped back at him and said, your mother used to go to the fairies, and is that why you think I'm going with them? So he became infuriated and demanded that she eat three pieces of bread and jam, demanding her to state her name again. She answered twice and ate two pieces of bread, but hesitated on the third. Her husband throws her to the ground. If you won't take it, down you will go. He holds her down and starts forcing the bread and jam down her throat and holding a hot stick from the fire close to her face. Not convinced that the fairy has left his wife's body, he covers Bridget's body with lamp oil and she's burned alive in their living room. Oh my. Michael said in front of the shocked relatives that were still inside the house, she's not my wife. She's an old deceiver sent in place of my wife. Once the flames died down, Michael covers her with a sheet and leaves the house locking her family inside with her dead body. Upon his return, he forces Bridget's cousin, Patrick Kennedy, to help bury Bridget's body in a shallow grave just a quarter mile away from the house threatened the rest of the family not to tell the authorities what had happened. The following morning, an agitated Michael arrived at the church with Jack Dune. Michael was a mess, sobbing and tearing his hair out. Jack Dune tells a priest about Michael burning his wife, claiming he wasn't present when it occurred and said, I've been asking them all morning to take her up and give her a Christian burial. Like, really? Mm-hmm. You, you're you the one that instigated this and told him that his wife was possessed by fairies and you weren't there? You knew nothing right. of it? Mm, sure, Jesus. buddy. 1800s were fucking wild. <laughs> Yikes. And this priest, like, he just thinks both of these men are insane. So he calls the police to report what they're saying. For the next few days, the police searched for Bridget and questioned their friends and relatives. Even though Michael spoke out about immigrating or committing suicide to escape the law, he still hoped that his real wife would come back. For three consecutive nights starting the day after visiting the priest, he waited at the fairy circles, where he believed that she would appear galloping on a white horse. He said he would only have to cut the ropes that bound her to the animal and she would be his forever because he didn't believe that he murdered his wife. Just crazy. Right, he probably just went mad. He probably had like syphilis. He probably (laughs) did, honestly. On Wednesday, March 20th, the Royal Irish Constables issued arrest warrants for eight people from Bridget's Circle, as well as Dennis Ganey. He was the fairy doctor. Two days later, the police found Bridget's body. The 26-year-old's body had been wedged beneath several inches of clay and under a jumble of thorn bushes that were thrown on top, but her corpse showed wounds caused by something much worse than branches. Her spine and lower limbs were so badly burned that parts of her skeleton were exposed. She was naked except for a stocking and one gold earring, and her head was encased in a sack. Good old Christian burial. On July 5th of 1895, after 
a two-day trial, Michael was found guilty of manslaughter and imprisoned, along with Jack Dune, Patrick Boland, and four of Bridget's cousins that were present and knew about her murder. The judge ruled out verdict of murder, explaining that they had all acted out of genuine belief that she wasn't who she was. How you feel about that story? Uh, uh, that's like real life shit. Like you can look it up. Right. That's mm-hmm. crazy that that's actual like, it's not just like a yeah. tale. Like that's IRL. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It was kind of like a little mini, mini true crime. Yeah. Within all mini this Mini episode fair- inside of an episode. So if you have a favorite fairy, or if you've ridden a puka or seen one of these dangerous fairies, you can fucking tell us about it. So Renee, where can they send us a sweet-ass email? Well, Shelby, they can send us an email at thecreepyburrito at gmail.com. Or you can also hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at thecreepyburrito. (laughs) And don't forget to write us a sweet-ass review on iTunes or Facebook, and we will shout you out. As always, come back to get lost in that sauce with us. So, which was your favorite fairy? Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. (laughs) And on that note, uh, bye-bye. But a little bit more of a benevolent. That's a nice flavor. (laughs) Like vanilla? Uh, Benevolent. 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 Oh my god, why the fuck am I. Benevolent? Yes, thank you. (laughs) Benevolent. No. 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 Benevolent. Benevolent. Yes. Benevolent. Yes. I said it earlier fine, but not... <laughs> I don't know why I'm getting stupid. Benevolent. Benevolent. Yes. Okay. Yay. Benevolent. Yay. It's a word. I said it. But a little bit more of a benel... Ben... <laughs> benel... But... <laughs> Benevolent! Benevolent! <laughs> Benevolent. Yes. I'm just going to say deviant.